0: to the first episode of... Son of a bitch, what are we calling this thing? I don't know. Um, good question. I was thinking refried reviews. Alright, I'll take it. Okay. That was easy. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the first episode of refried reviews. I'm John. I'm JP. And uh, basically what we're going to be doing on this is taking a second look at movies that we had opinions about uh, the first time around just to see what we might have missed, um, and if our opinions change. You know, sometimes one look at a movie um, isn't enough. And if you're like us, you watch a lot of fucking movies. (laughs) And and you'll always walk out of a theater going, you know, I really need to see that again to get it. And then you don't because something else comes out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I always feel like there's sort of, there's a level of the first time you watch something, it's battling with your expectations of what it might be you're struggling to pay attention and make sure you can follow the plot, where on on rewatches it's a much more relaxed experience and you can sort of take in everything they did for what it is.
0: Yeah, so uh, today we're going to be covering J.J. Uh, Abrams' 2009 Star Trek, um, a uh, movie that I think we both really liked the first time around, I don't want to presume, but um, this one was my, my idea, and the reason we wanted to cover it was... Um, Because I really liked it the first time around, but I had this sort of sneaking suspicion that I had been duped a little bit. It was too much fun. Yeah, (laughs) Um, and so I wanted to kind of take a look at it and just see—you know—was this uh, a really good movie, or was was it a little bit uh, whiz, a a little bit me getting entranced by the whiz bang of it all? Sure, I guess is uh, is the best way to put it. So. Um, hopefully we'll be able to kind of glean a little bit more insight from, uh, all those damn lens flares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't write nearly enough lens flare jokes for this podcast, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll try and get through it. So what, what did you think uh, the first time you saw the movie? Like when, when did you see it, it was in the theater and what do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw it opening night. I remember being fairly excited about it and at least knowing other people who were. So uh, I'm not a huge Star Trek fan, I guess I should start out by saying, um, I've seen Wrath of Khan a number of times. That's probably the closest exposure I have to the original series. I'm sure I've seen most of the movies at one time or another, but I'm definitely not well educated in you know the ways of Trek. Are you, you like Wrath of Khan though, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it's great. <laughs> How could you not? Yeah. <laughs> um. So going in, like you know, I, I had sort of middle of the road expectations. I was happy with. Um, with what jj abrams did for mission impossible in terms of reinvigorating franchises and things so i mean i went into it just excited to see another jj abrams movie and i thought it was totally fun i mean uh uh, i mean i'll admit that my brain was probably a little bit on autopilot the first time because there's a lot of bright lights and flipping around and stuff so (laughs) that's always fun to see on the big screen so, I mean, yeah, I guess that's the long and short of it, was I enjoyed it the whole way through the first time. Um, I like most of J.J. J. Abrams' stuff for the visceral reasons, sort of, yeah. that go without saying. Yeah.
0: So, what about you? Um, well, I, I was a Star Trek fan from way, way back. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of grew up watching Next Generation in Syndication. Um, my aunt and cousin both own Starfleet uniforms. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was a little kid, I'd go into her, uh, uh like, TV sitting room at her house when I when I visit and she had the whole uh, the whole of TNG um, on VHS just covering a wall (laughs) it was fucking rad these were home recorded I take it? no they were she bought the whole series in VHS oh
1: wow that's a lot of
0: tapes (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was like three episodes to a tape and yeah it was it covered uh, uh, it it was like what I imagine like Sherlock Holmes library to be (laughs) Uh-huh. But the exact opposite in terms of intellectual content. Sure. Uh, um, so yeah, I, I was always a TNG Star Trek guy, and you know, like you, I saw of Khan, loved of Khan, saw all the movies at some point. I think I saw six uh, Undiscovered Country in the theater when I was like seven or eight years old. And mm-hmm. Really, really liked that one. I haven't seen too much of the original series, mm-hmm. which seems like is what J.J. Trek is kind of primarily drawing from. Right, like he wants to acknowledge the existence of the original series, and he wants to draw from Rathakon because he put the Kobayashi Maru in the movie. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he's mainly like let's let's get into like the '60s Trek. Right, um, right. and I've only seen like three or four episodes of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got a decent idea of kind of what, what they were doing. So when I when I sat down and saw uh, saw J.J. Trek, um, <laughs> which is what I'm going to call it, sure. Uh, um, in the theater, I fucking loved it. Uh-huh. I was like, oh my god, this feels as big as I always wanted Star Trek to feel. Because like, you know, Next Generation always felt like it was kind of straining against its budget. Like sure. you have those exterior shots of spaceship battles. But they never, like, you just kind of have, the Enterprise would be parked in space, and then, like, a Romulan Warbird or whatever the hell would be kind of parked in space, and they'd shoot special effects each other for a little bit. Right. And then one of them would have an explosion superimposed over it. Uh-huh. And that's just how those would go. Like, you never saw, like, dudes sucked into space. Mm-hmm. Um, like you did in this one. And it, it felt big, and it felt cool, and at the end, I was like, oh, my God, like, they totally got it right. That felt like Star Trek. And then I thought about it more, probably starting about six months ago, Mm -hmm. whenever they started talking about the new Star Trek. And I was like, you know, did I really... Was that good? And the more (laughs) I thought about it, the more I was like, I think that might have been bad. You got hoodwinked? Yeah. I think I might have been had. (laughs) Uh, um, And, you know, I I know uh, Orsi and Kurtzman, the guys who wrote Transformers, wrote this, and uh, we're going to talk a lot about that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I I think I might have gotten duped, so that's that's why I wanted to kind of kind of rewatch it, but I loved it the first time around. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's just shit's happening so fast. Right. That you know, you 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 always you, you never really have time to stop and consider anything that's going on. Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's kind of the Robert Rodriguez school of filmmaking. <laughs> just throw shit at him. Yeah. Um
1: and Abrams is good at that. Like he just he knows how to how to pace it out in such a way that it's always moving, but it's not
0: overly exhausting. Like yeah. he, He's sort of very good at plotting it out that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember Mission Impossible 3 kind of impressing me that way, too. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't think it's a coincidence that I remember really liking Mission Impossible 3 in the theater. But I couldn't really tell you a whole lot about what happened in it. Right. <laughs> um, I remember that uh, Tom Cruise was at a party at the uh-huh. beginning, and Lawrence Fishburne shows up. And I think there's a scene on a bridge that's very cool, and yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman is evil. Yes. And at one point, someone gets out of a Lamborghini into a sewer.
1: Well, I, I think also... Did I describe
0: anything that, just, that happened in the I movie? I think just, all yeah. of
1: those things were in the movie, <laughs> okay. but I, I feel like also part of the reason that Mission Impossible 3 sort of blends in with a lot of things around it is just because at the time, it was a long Alias episode.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is how
1: most people identified it as. I mean, the movie started out with him bloody tied to a chair, and then jumping backwards in time to tell how it got there. Like it was oh, just yeah. transparently, which was great. Did you watch but, Alias? Uh, I did. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is it good? Uh, it's worth watching. Yeah. I mean, the it it loses a little bit just because. Kind of like 24 in a way. They were filming very cinematically and yeah. action movie-like at a time when shows weren't doing that. Yeah, yeah. Even the fact that it was in widescreen was sort of a big deal at the time. And it was composed like an action movie. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and as mentioned, like it, it's sort of like Mission Impossible 3 a lot of the time. It's just sort of taught spy stories.
0: Okay, I like taught spy stories. Yeah. I, I like watching... TV evolved that way. I mean, to, to go back to Trek, my, my favorite Star Trek is Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love Deep Space Nine, first of all, because it's awesome. Um, secondly, because it's the only one of the Star Trek series that really has the audacity to question whether or not the Federation is a good idea. Uh-huh. Like, in the third and fourth season, there's a whole subplot, spoiler alert, by the way, for for Deep Space Nine, um, if you haven't watched it. And if you haven't, go fucking watch Deep Space Nine. It's really <laughs> good. Um... There's a whole plot line that revolves around one guy just saying, like, maybe we don't all want to be part of your shiny, happy Federation. Maybe we work for the Empire and don't know it? Yeah, like, maybe we work for the Empire. (laughs) Like, granted, like, everybody seems to enjoy a pretty good standard of living in the Federation, but, Mm -hmm. like, it sort of examines how the Federation reacts to people who don't want to be part of it. Mm-hmm. and how, like, the Federation kind of finds that idea inconceivable. Is it, like, thought crime kind of stuff in Star Trek? It's not it? quite so insidious. Uh-huh. It's just, like, like there's... Uh, the, the, the plot is basically that there's this group of people called the Maquis, and they live in this uh, area of space that's a border between the Federation space and the Cardassian Empire. Okay. And there was a border dispute between the Federation and the Cardassians, and, uh, like, the Federation had to give a world back to the Cardassians. And it was the world the Maquis lived on. Mm-hmm. And they were like, fuck you. We don't want to be part of them. Right, so we're right. going to become terrorists, basically. <laughs> um, they're, and so the they, they kind of go back and forth. And they, it, it ends up being this debate about the very premise of the Federation, which is kind of expansionist when you think about it. Like, mm-hmm. That's sort of the idea behind it, is we're eventually going to bring everybody under the umbrella of our big democratic government, and no one's going to fight anymore. And it's going to be grand.
1: Yeah, I guess space colonizing doesn't have quite the negative ring
0: that colonialism does in the world today. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And so it's sort of... It's not that the Federation is wringing their hands going, we're going to take over everything. It's Mm -hmm. just that they, they seem to just take for granted that their form of civilization is better. Right, I see. And they're like, why wouldn't you want to be a part of this? It's great over here. Huh. And they're not really... That that idea implies a sort of disrespect for anybody who wants to maintain, you know, kind of autonomy in the face of that. Mm-hmm. And that's an intriguing idea. That was a really, really heady tangent into the subplots of Deep Space Nine. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, fair enough. <laughs> we might want to cut that. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it it's another reason I really like Deep Space Nine is True. that it's it's questioning these, these ideas that are at the heart of it because... You know, original series track and next generation track is all about like, okay, we're the Enterprise and we're going to go shine the light of civilization on this little dark, sad world. Mm-hmm. And everybody seems pretty stoked to be part of the Federation. Whenever <laughs> Picard or Kirk get there, uh-huh. they're like, "Fuck yeah, Federation! You got replicators? Hell yeah!" Yeah. Um, so that's cool. Um, the other thing I like about it, which I'm sorry, this is so long winded, is <laughs> that it is sort of an early example of serialized TV. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, they, they kind of... It's very episodic in the first three seasons, and then in season four, they start telling these stories that aren't serialized the way like, Lost is, where like a Lost episode would end on a cliffhanger. A Deep Space Nine episode wouldn't end on a cliffhanger, but they would like, pick up story X and sort of advance it a discrete amount of plot. Mm -hmm. and then kind of reach a stopping point with it. And at the end, like, all the main characters would kind of have that scene where they sit around and they're like, okay, well, we, X, Y, Z happened. I guess this means such and such for the status quo moving forward. Mm -hmm. And then they'd all stare pensively out of a window at space. (laughs) And credits. So at, like, season three or four, they decided people
1: aren't really dropping in for an episode here or there. We might as well... Time into a, a
0: more overarching storyline. Yeah, kind of? yeah. I see. Um, and it's it's fascinating to me. Um, uh-huh. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Ron Moore was like uh, a co EP on the show. Right. right. Um, so you can see if you like Battlestar Galactica, you see. I didn't mean to make this a commercial for Deep Space Nine. Doesn't bother me. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, back back to JJ to Abrams and the way he directs. I actually think that this movie's really well directed. It's one of the things I really like about it. Mm-hmm. Is I don't have much of a problem with how it's directed. I have a host of problems with the script <laughs> um, uh-huh. that I think once I once the JJ spell wore off this time watching it, I kind of saw them. Now, for 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 our dear listeners, um, we're about to go into the plot of the movie in some detail. We aren't going to talk about the ending just yet, so. If you know, if you know, you uh, if you want to stay completely virgin, you might want to um, drop out at this point. But if you want to stay completely virgin, I don't know why you're listening to a podcast about people <laughs> watching movies for the second time. Um, it's, um, so, I, uh, I, I, like I said, I, 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 think there are a lot of problems with the script that J.J. Abrams was able to kind of just sort of gloss over. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What do you think of the just the way he directed it, um, and that that whole widescreen thing?
1: Well, I mean, I I thought it looked gorgeous. Certainly, like I can I can make fun of lens flares and all that kind of stuff, but I mean, it it gets an audience excited. Like it's adrenaline watch. It's it's yeah. very good in in terms of visual style and keeping you interested and entertained. Yeah. And I don't know. I I felt like it struck a pretty good balance between like you you have the the green chick throughout it is just sort of in the background, and I felt like they found a pretty good middle ground where every so often they'll throw in something just to remind you that, hey, it's, we're in kind of a crazy world, and check yes. out what's going on. But it doesn't delve into the the more modern George Lucas, like, you should be watching the background because there's a whole story going on with yeah. all these all these weird characters that we could afford. I thought Star Trek was pretty good at staying on point with occasional deviations and to check out the fun, crazy universe yeah. we're in.
0: It's not it's not pulling a George Lucas and doing with aliens, what like the airplane movies do with jokes?
1: <laughs> just throw them in.
0: Yeah, like just always something going on. Yeah, and, you know, it's the occasional like, wow, that guy at the bar sure has a weird long face, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. I actually really, really liked the the uh, background alien design. Mm-hmm. Um, like from the very beginning, when they're when you're on the Kelvin and watching uh, kind of the demise of the Kelvin and, and Thor saving the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that fun stuff. Chris Hemsworth is the name of the actor. I'm going to call him Thor because um, <laughs> he's Thor. Sure. Um, really, really like that sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so basically, uh, the sequence is that the Kelvin is out in space investigating some anomaly. And they uh, see Nero's ship, uh, the ship from the future that's all spiky and crazy and weird, um, coming out of this thing. And they're like, what's that? And it, uh, it starts firing on them and a space battle ensues. Long story short, Kelvin loses a space battle. Pretty fucking bad. Yeah. <laughs> and uh eventually their their captain goes over to uh to Nero's ship meets him he gets stabbed um Thor has to take over the Kelvin mm-hmm. um it continues to go poorly turns out Thor's wife is pregnant with uh with Captain Kirk at the time um Thor is Captain Kirk's dad um Thor orders to evacuate the whole ship it's weird that I'm continuing to call him Thor I should stop <laughs> <laughs> Well, I
1: mean, he's not in it for a whole lot longer. Spoilers. So, I don't think it's going to cause money problems. Fair
0: enough. Um, so, yeah, they, uh, they evacuate the ship. Uh, Thor has to uh, manually um, crash the ship. Which, first little issue I had, how can you break the autopilot on a starship? It's a piece of software. Right. Um, if the computers are still computing, you've probably still got access to your autopilot.
1: Well, that that hard drive, you know, flipped out into space through a, an open <laughs> hole or something. There was a lot of decompression. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that that whole opening sequence, like I, I think Abrams is is good at that. It's almost like his Bond intro, mm-hmm. like this tiny little arc where, I mean, I, I think we've probably both seen in music videos and short films, like you can get away with. Sort of emotional beats much better if you're telling a tiny arc in five minutes where someone dies at the end. Yeah, like and the you have climactic music of- and like the beginning of Up. Like, right, right, exactly. Yeah. So, like just just in general, I thought that that whole sequence was pretty well done. I mean, mm-hmm. it's clearly tear jerky, you know, if yeah. if you're trying to be self aware. But as an audience member, I thought it totally worked.
0: Yeah, yeah. And actually the whole broken autopilot thing's pretty nitpicky of me. Right. Like that's there's 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 way more valid complaints I have later. <laughs> um, so I, I should probably save my ammo. Um, but yeah, he uh, you know he he has to crash the Kelvin into uh, Nero's ship Um, pregnant wife gives birth to James T. Kirk as they're flying away and um, apparently the idea behind this sequence is um, you know Nero's ship is from the future Um, they kind of go into the backstory of how it got here um, later but the idea is that at this point we have split off into a new timeline from original Trek Mm -hmm. that everything before this was pretty much just uh, was, was in line with, uh, with the original Star Trek timeline but since Nero came back from the future the idea is that all like the sensor readings and whatever that the Kelvin got off of his ship they were able to sort of, sort of turn that Into more advanced technology, which is why the Enterprise bridge in this looks so much cooler than the Enterprise bridge does in the '60s show. Mm -hmm. Um, Intentionally breaking continuity. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which you know, okay, I'll
1: I'll accept that. Um, That I mean, it's a more streamlined solution than ignoring it or trying to come up with something way more convoluted.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Which you know is always a danger in time travel. Um, And you know, unless your show or your movie is like about that. In which case you're making Doctor Who, um, <laughs> you you probably should should just hand wave that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. That that's a really cool sequence, and I enjoyed it. And from there we go to kind of a less effective sequence <laughs> of Kitty Kirk stealing a uh, classic car and listening to the Beastie Boys. Yeah, that it
1: it wouldn't bother me so much if it it wasn't so clearly made for a trailer. Well, like yeah, it, it really it it almost felt to me like. They filmed the trailer, and then they were stuck and had to keep it in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I get the point of it, like, that he's this young rogue and everything, but it it felt awfully silly for a franchise that has, like, it... Sure, there are always silly moments, but they, they try to tend closer to logical and scientific. Yeah. And you know, a rebellious teen driving a car off a cliff and jumping out at the last possible second.
0: Yeah. I don't really know why. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there were it didn't that scene didn't really tell me anything about his character that I didn't learn in the next scene. Like That's a good point. We could have just gone to that bar scene um, of him, you know, hitting on a hoora and everything. Like we got that he was sort of a, a dead end job kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I really would have liked to see. You know, while we're just rewriting the movie. Sure. Is, uh, let's watch him, like, work a shitty menial job. And, like, right next to the Starfleet Academy folks. You know, let's watch That'll him serve them. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he works at that bar. And we kind of see that he's listening in on their conversations. And he knows all this stuff they're talking about. Because mm-hmm. he's kind of secret. He's got a little bit of, like, a Good Hunting Goes to Space thing. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But, you know, like, put him below them in terms of socioeconomic status and then have the Captain Pike scene and everything. That would be more interesting than, oh, look, he's got attitude and he was always born this way.
1: Yeah, I was actually thinking that, um, you know, they, they have the moment with the, the stepdad who you assume is abusive or whatever it is. They yeah. They make it sound like he has a tough childhood. Yeah. That might have been better served by a rough childhood scene. Like, even yeah. if it's just him, like... I don't know, if he's talking about his dad and the stepdad is telling him to shut the hell up or something, like, I yeah. don't know, just any any sort of childhood drama above, he stole a car and he's clearly, like, a serious problem child, so yeah. then when you have the stepdad angry, it doesn't come off as a bad childhood, it's Yeah, like it just a seems demon like, kid.
0: It just seems like he's, you know... Um, justifiably being punished. Like, yeah, like you obviously should face the consequences <laughs> of this horrible thing you did. Yes. Like it's you just destroyed, I guess at this point in the continuity, a 200-year-old car <laughs> <laughs> which somehow still runs. Purrs like a kitten. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I I I don't get that. Um, but even that, even that, I was still kind of on board for um, watching it again. I was like, this is this is a little Hollywood and this is a little dumb. But you know, it's it's still better than the other Orsi Kurtzman um, teenage stuff we got of you know uh, Shia LaBeouf and his classic car with <laughs> Megan Fox or whatever. Right. I don't really remember a lot of Transformers. I was pretty drunk when I watched it. And I don't think we're going to be revisiting it on this podcast. Yes, yeah, probably for the best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, from there, we. Uh, th- this is really the point where my main complaint with the movie kind of comes up, which is, again, once all the JJ. Ness sort of wears off. The gloss. Yeah, the gloss wears off. You you realize this movie's playing really, really fast and loose with its plot. Like, uh-huh. unconscionably fast and loose. <laughs> um, and this is kind of the first big example of that. Of, of Orsi and Kurtzman just going, you know what, we just need to get Kirk somewhere and we're just going to show that. Like, we get... This bar scene, he hits on Ahura, um, all the Starfleet cadets beat him up, and then Captain Pike, um, who's sort of a father figure, comes up to him and says, "Like, I know who you are, your dad is a hero, um, I dare you to do better, you could probably you know, have your own starship, you should join Starfleet Academy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Kirk drives out on his uh, motorcycle and looks at the Enterprise being built in Iowa, and it's all cool. And it is really cool. <laughs> um, and then the next thing we see, he's just walking up to get onto a shuttlecraft, and it takes him to Starfleet Academy. Like, is right. there no application process? <laughs> like, We're just going to gloss over that. And it's the next day, because we see he's still got blood on his face. To delay delayed uh, nepotism or something? Like, yeah. He's automatically admitted. You know, yeah, I don't know. get it. Is, did he get grandfathered? Is it like a fraternity? Yeah. <laughs> 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 like they did that, the secret handshake and they have to let him on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if that if that were the only thing, then I probably would just let that go, but it's so indicative of sort of the movie's mindset sure. that that I'm really really bothered by it. Um but you know, then I forgave it because we met bones and he was really cool. Yeah. You know, like Carl Urban does a Fucking spot-on DeForest Kelly. Um, that's pretty awesome. He's really, really fantastic. We find out that he apparently is recently divorced, and I guess that's why he's joining (laughs) Starfleet Academy. Whatever. (laughs) It's cool. Um, And I enjoyed that. Um, We flash-forward to three years later, and Kirk is boning an Orion slave girl, Uh which is is sort of the... The the Orion slave girl and some other things that sort of pop up in the movie are indicative of of, of this thing that the movie did... that I'm a little bothered by. Okay. Um, from the Orion Slave Girl to like the Kobayashi Maru later. Um, the winks? The you know, what? The
1: winks that they take?
0: Yes, the okay. winks. Like, even little shit, like, the very first thing you hear whenever uh, the thing starts, and we've got that long tracking shot on the exterior of the Kelvin back at the very beginning. Uh-huh. And the first thing we hear is those radar pings, and they're the exact same pings you heard in the original series. Right. Like, the movie's going, hey. We know Star Trek. It's Star Trek, right? Right. right. We like this shit, don't you, nerds? <laughs> um, and it feels like they just sort of put a coat of paint over a space adventure story. Mm-hmm. Like, they threw a slave girl in there, they threw in the Kobayashi Maroon, all these things to kind of wink at you, but um, I'd like to talk later about whether or not this sort of essentially feels like a Star Trek story. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, we'll, we'll get to that later. But this, this is one of the things they did. Orion slave girl shows up, just to let you know, it's Star Trek. Um, right, right. And Kurt's boning because, hey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, from there, uh, he goes and takes the Kobayashi Maru test. Oh, wait, but Spock. Spock yeah, shows oh, up. Oh, that's right. Spock's whole intro, too. As a yeah. little kid. Yeah, uh, I forgot about Kitty Spock. Talk about Kitty Spock. Um, so there's
1: this, the whole sequence is sort of Spock as a little kid, and... Um, it was funny, I was reading through some reviews sort of to get ready for this, and uh, I think it was Ebert's review, he he cracked a joke, something about like... Um, so in in the flashback, Spock is, is getting sort of tormented by kids trying to get a rise out of him. And Ebert raises the question, uh, because it comes up later in the plot, of poor little Spock, does he have any idea that the rest of his life is going to be spent just facing down with people trying to get him to punch them or whatever. <laughs> like, that really does seem to be his lot in life in the in this new timeline, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, the... So the childhood box sequence is sort of the introduction to the fact that he's half-human, mm-hmm. and he's living in a world where emotions are viewed as weakness, but he, you know, he has them, but he's trying to deny that he has them, but Yeah, his mother has them, and he loves his mother, but he's conflicted, and... Um, I mean, that, which actually sort of leads to an issue I had. I thought it worked great the first time, and as an emotional arc, it makes sense. But the presence of Spock's mom in the movie is so brief, Mm -hmm. it really feels to me like just the the closest point A to point B. How can we get an emotional reaction out of him? Where there's just 30 seconds of, he loves her so much, and then 20 minutes later, she dies.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 a pretty bare bones little arc.
1: Yeah, it just it feels more transparent when those are the only points that you see her. She couldn't at least die doing a thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <Like> anything. Yeah, <laughs> and there's there's no indication of of where she is in his life right now. Does he still even talk to her? Is she still important? Like it really is just strong emotional connection, and that's how we got through childhood.
0: Dies, yeah. And that's yeah. It. Why? Why don't we see him at Starfleet and Starfleet kind of get like a video message from her or something? Right, like, right. Oh, hey, happy birthday, Spock, or something.
1: Yeah, you know? and I mean, I mean, I, I guess it's just the sort of thing where where there's a big emotional arc with with music that I don't necessarily feel as strong as the film reaction wants me to have. Yeah, uh, that that sort of annoys me. When yeah. there's there's big climactic music for something that I don't feel, I feel yeah. like that
0: that's sort of because, that's something that takes me out of a movie immediately. Yeah, because on top of not getting it, you also feel patronized. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm with you there. I I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. I'm also um, while we're being nitpicky dicks about it. Sure. Um, I'm also fascinated that in addition to speaking English during his little examination, because basically the the, the other people, the other kids are tormenting uh, baby Spock whenever he's sitting inside of a bowl um, that's projecting, like, science at him, basically. And he's answering a whole bunch of questions. It seems to be some sort of test. Uh Um, And... I'll accept a little hand-waving of them not speaking Vulcan and speaking English. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we did it with the sub-commander in Hunt for Red October. We didn't feel <laughs> any need to zoom, zoom in on his mouth or anything like that. Um, but the fact that, like, all the science is projected in English, like, everything <laughs> on those balls, like, it, it, you know, the little diagrams and molecules and everything, like, they're clearly just, like modern scientific diagrams of you know, whatever molecule or whatever and all the equations are written in uh, in English basically. Sure. Like, you couldn't give me a little Vulcan on there? <laughs> you couldn't do something? Guys! Yeah, that's, um, that's true. <laughs> that that would have been kind of cool. Uh, but you know, it's it's not again, it's in and of itself not a big deal, but it's just indicative of the laziness.
1: Which brings up a point where uh, perhaps this has to do with your, your issue of the what they chose to be the, the little messages to Trek fans yeah. was, I I consider myself a very casual Star Trek fan. Like, I like it, but I'm... I'm I don't am i go out of my way to watch it. Yeah. And I feel like I caught most of the stuff they put in there, mm-hmm. meaning that it was the lightest kind of fan service, where it's like, people have probably heard of the Kobayashi Maru, so yeah. we'll throw the name in there, as opposed to, if it was in Vulcan, that would be an interesting sort of wink yeah to to people who really care where this felt like it's almost the uh like the lowest common denominator version of
0: of throwing in a hidden message yeah yeah definitely like uh oh look, we put a green bitch in it oh, right. you know? <laughs> like okay, um I mean I'm glad to see a green bitch show up that's fun yeah. but um but it, it it would have been nice to have them kind of get it the heart of what a Star Trek story kind of is Mm -hmm. um, in a way that they they definitely didn't. Um, But yeah, anyway, Baby Spock. uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, my mom issues aside, I
1: thought it worked fairly well in terms of for people who aren't familiar here's Vulcan's deal, here's Spock's deal in particular, Yeah, and this is, you know, he's driven for these reasons
0: and so on. And I like that we went back to a younger, more conflicted Spock. Like, in the original (laughs) series, um, you would see Spock kind of have these flare-ups of emotion, and we got the feeling that he was, you know, kind of an older guy, and he had his emotions under control, Mm -hmm. Um, but he still would kind of get, you know, you know, really happy or really sad. Sometimes, right. In the movies, Spock was just placid all the time. Like he, he really functionally didn't seem very different from any other Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Um, if if he was different, it was because he had been hanging out with Captain Kirk for a long time right. and was sort of influenced by by their friendship. Um, so yeah, I like going back to a more a, a Spock who's kind of struggling a little bit more. I think that makes him a more interesting character, and I think Zachary Quinto does a really good job. Yeah, um, and I like the way they introduce that stuff. That's one thing I think they got by and large right is the characters and the way they act. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kirk pretty much acts like Kirk, Spock acts like Spock, Bones acts like Bones, mm-hmm. um, and everybody else sort of has has a character to them. Um, but yeah, the, the I, I like the way he, he rejects the Science Academy's invitation just because that one guy was a little bit patronizing towards him. Right and, right. and, and decided to go off and join Starfleet. That that was kind of cool and it showed that um while he's underplaying it, he does have a little bit of a rebellious streak to him. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um and then the next time we see Spock he shows up and it turns out he's the the guy administering the Kobayashi Maru test. Mm-hmm. Um which Real quick, the basic idea of the test is you're in a simulation, you're the captain of a ship, and you're going out to rescue some freighter that got attacked by Klingons. You show up, you can't beat the Klingons, they blow the hell out of you. The idea is that you, as a captain, you have to be able to accept certain death, mm-hmm. and accept that you can't win, and, you know, it's, it's trying to see how you act under that kind of pressure. Um, and so, Kirk does what Kirk does, he reprograms the test so he can win, um, which you know, I get why we're seeing that because uh, in in Star Trek II, we saw the Kobayashi Maru and heard these stories of how young Kirk had beaten it, and so now we get to see young Kirk beat the test and and, and be really smug about it as he does. So, <laughs> yeah. um, which I, I do buy that I you know given given the way Kirk acts in the original series and in the movies, like I kind of buy that he'd be a little bit of a bro when he was younger.
1: Yeah, I mean the I feel like a, they did a pretty good job at allowing the character to be similar to William Shatner's overall vibe mm-hmm. without doing the speech impression. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was sort of a nice way to handle it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that, that was definitely cool. Um, so he, he basically cheats on the test, and then um, the next big scene we get... Um, is sort of the the crux of every issue I have <laughs> with this movie. So we're at Spock's, at, at, uh, we're at Kirk's academic probationary hearing. Mary, apparently, and apparently they got to get the whole of Starfleet Academy together <laughs> just to yes. shame this guy for cheating on a test. <laughs> Everybody's like, there are no classes today. Nobody's um, ever cheated the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> yeah, no one's no one's ever cheated at Starfleet Academy. <laughs> Ever. So we have to get everybody out just so they can stare at Kirk and he can feel shame. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the, the the head of, of Starfleet Academy is apparently Tyler Perry. Uh, <laughs> went, I just, called him Starfleet Commander Medea in my head the entire time. <laughs> he's sort of the Dumbledore of Starfleet Academy. Um, you want to call it that? I sure. do. Um, and he's, he's the one uh, kind of talking about what happened and then uh, Kirk faces his accuser and it's Spock and they're looking at each other and like It sets up this antagonism between these two guys And you can kind of tell the rest of the movie To a large degree is going to be about them becoming buddies Sexual tension Oh god it smoldered <laughs> <Non-stop>. <laughs> Like lightning between them <laughs> um, And then uh, They get a message that Something bad is happening um, On the planet Vulcan mm-hmm. um, And that's th- Then there's one sentence <laughs> That you pointed out to me Yeah that is everything wrong with this movie. <laughs> What's that sentence? <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, I won't remember it verbatim, but it's basically, everyone important's gone. You students, you're going to have to do it.
0: Yeah, it's... Like, it's with <laughs>
1: Starfleet has is, is disappeared.
0: With our primary fleet engaged in the Laurentian system, we're going to have to send you guys. Something like that. Yeah. The basic idea is, the whole fleet is doing something... <laughs> In the Laurentian system. Occupado. Yeah. What the hell is going on in the Laurentian system? Can I go watch that movie? Because that sounds interesting. Like, presumably they got a pretty fucking big fleet. <laughs> and something's happening that they all have to go. Yeah, and for any fans
1: of uh, you know, nitpicking Dark Knight Rises, my immediate reaction in my head was, Oh, all the
0: police are trapped underground. That's why. <laughs> So you, a whole bunch of students, are going to have to fly all the ships. Yeah. Like, including the brand new flagship that we're not (laughs) going to leave in dry dock. We're going to hand the keys to you guys. Yeah, yeah. And send you out to Vulcan to see what the hell's going on. Um, So that sucked. (laughs) And everything, like, it's that... Fucking hand waving that that goes on through the whole damn movie. That mm-hmm. just I, I found it more and more infuriating as everything went on. Um, so everybody goes and gets on their ships because sure um, right. we're just going to accept that well, red alert. You know, <laughs> it's let's not, go. Yeah, <laughs> and um, Kurt can't get on the ship, but without going into it too much, Bones sneaks him on the ship by injecting him with some stuff. And uh, and it's very wacky, um, but eventually he uh, he gets onto the Enterprise, and the Enterprise is way cool looking. Yeah, and it's 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 mainly piloted through lens flare technology um, <laughs> on the bridge. Like seriously, this was the first time watching it, I felt like I really had a good idea of what the bridge looked like, because uh-huh. every time I tried to look at something in the theater when I first saw it, like just something would get in my eye. <laughs> It bugged me. Um, Nightmare on the peripheral vision. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So yeah, they they head off to Vulcan. And as they're going, um, Kirk... Uh, realizes that it's a Romulan attack because later, because earlier when he was boning that Orion slave girl, the slave girl's roommate Ahura came in and was like, oh, I heard this weird thing, um, this weird transmission over Klingon radio or something. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. um, And he's like, oh, that thing you heard, Ahura, it's this. So we're not going to a natural disaster. It's an attack. And he managed to convince everybody. And so they they slow down and find out that pretty much everybody else in uh, Starfleet, uh, well, all the kids... Got blown up as soon as they showed up. <laughs> Which yeah, it's that, worth noting yeah. that at the very end of the movie, after when they're commending Kirk for a job well done, everybody from Starkly Academy's there.
1: And all the second string students were in
0: their <laughs> seats. Yeah, yeah, that that definitely stuck out to me
1: on on multiple viewings. That they send all the students and then everybody's dead
0: <laughs> almost yeah. immediately. Yeah, <laughs> just throwing those poor children <laughs> into a meat grinder. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, uh, so they show up and they see that you know here's here's the giant ship they uh, they engage Nero's ship a little bit and then uh, end up surrendering Captain Pike, who's been commanding the enterprise, goes over there leaves Spock in charge mm-hmm. um and I, I think I, I like that they were trying what they were trying to do here with showing like no this isn't the natural order of things like Spock's not supposed to be the captain Kirk's supposed to be the captain mm-hmm. um, because you need that guy running the ship who's willing to just sort of jump in because sometimes it's more important to make a decision than it is what decision you make. Sure. You know? And so that's why, you know, Spock isn't really the best choice for a captain because he's going to consider a little bit too long and sometimes time's a factor. Mm-hmm. And you need a guy like Kirk who will just sort of, you know, hit the thrusters and, you know, just go. Um, and it was sort of a nice way to, to tackle the, the question of, you know,
1: if you have no prior knowledge of Star Trek... It was yeah. like, well, why is the really smart one second in command and, like, the kind of hothead guy in command? Yeah. yeah. Like, it was sort of a nice way to spell out exactly how that happened. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. That was cool. Um, so, so Captain Pike goes over to the the crazy Romulan ship that Nero runs, and he's, you know, immediately captured because that's what happens when you go over to the enemy's ship. Sure. Um, and meanwhile... Uh, Sulu, who's on the ship also, along with Chekhov, and and the whole gang. Yes. Um, <laughs> he and uh Kirk and a red shirt in another one of those winks. Yeah. yeah. Um are gonna halo jump <laughs> a on... red jumpsuit, not yes. just any shirt. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna halo jump onto this giant laser that the Romulan ship is using to bore a hole into the core of Vulcan. Mm-hmm. And the what we find out pretty quickly is once they've bored that hole, they're gonna drop something called red matter. Sure. Into, uh, into the core of Vulcan, and, and it's going to implode the planet and create a black hole. Because mm-hmm. that's what red matter does. Right. You know, in science. Because we
1: already have a series of movies where they just use a laser to blow up the planet. It yeah. needs to
0: be a little different. <laughs> yeah, we're going to we're gonna send a little droplet of stuff, and it's going to... Yeah. Boom. Um. So whatever. Um, <laughs> anyway, um... They, uh, they halo jump. The red shirt dies like he was gonna. Of course. Um, and then Sulu and Kirk have a rollicking fight with some Romulans. They manage to shut down the big crazy laser, but not before they drop the red matter, um, and explode Vulcan. Mm -hmm. Uh, at the same time, at this point, by the way, things are happening really quickly. Yeah. And I don't think that's on accident. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Like I I realized, like everything I'm describing we're only like 45 minutes into the movie you know, yeah, and a lot yeah. of shit has happened. Yeah, definitely. Um and I I think that's what hypnotized me the first time. Mm-hmm. It was just like I didn't have time to consider anything. It was sure. just like, oh god, now we're now we're jumping on oh, what thing. are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, exactly. Uh-huh. Um so uh, it, it, the Vulcans, you know, got minutes before it implodes into a black hole. Spock goes down. And he wants to save the Science Council of um, and his family, which is part of the Science Council. And he, he almost does, but uh, they lose his mom in the transporter. She's gone. Which think about how this poor woman died. By the way, <laughs> she, she she winked out of existence and just never came back. Which. I want to believe that when you when you transport in the Star Trek universe, that means that there is a moment where you don't exist. And we could go into sort of the continuity of consciousness and all that nerdy shit, but sure. I'll, I'll, I won't bore you. But the bottom line is, like, she goes to sleep and she doesn't wake
1: up. Right. Uh, I mean, is she transported to a random location, or... No, her oh, atoms, no. her atoms are scattered oh, across scattered. the
0: galaxy. Oh, okay. Like she's right. she's gone. They don't they so they. Both she's are. white noise to the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, and that's the end of Winona Rider and old age makeup. <laughs> 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 yeah, it, 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 it's no good. And mm-hmm. that sort of you know defines Spock for, for Zena. And this is a this is a ballsy move that the movie makes. I like that they blew up Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's fun times. Um, and it, it does some interesting things with you know Spock and with Vulcans at large. Like it's sort of it's the biggest indicator we've had yet that this ain't your daddy's Trek.
1: Right, right. I was going to say it's a nice little indicator of of that. Yes, exactly. yeah.
0: Um, so we, we we see that, and we all kind of regroup back on the ship, and Spock is now in command. And he decides that they're going to go over to the Laurentian system and rendezvous with the main fleet and then figure things out. Meanwhile, Kirk is all like, hey, dude, the Romulan ship is headed for Earth right now. We need to do something. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> Valid point. Yeah, which, which like time is a factor, which, again, is Kirk's whole deal. It's mm-hmm. like we don't have time to consider things. Right. And that's why he's the captain. Um, so they, they have words, and eventually um, Spock is like, wait, you're not even supposed to be here. And he shoots him out an airlock <laughs> at a random planet. Yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah, and you, you you take it from here, because I'm too angry at this uh,
1: part. In a very captainly decision, he decides there's, there's no closet we can lock him in. We can't drug him and put him to sleep. We're just going to need to abandon one of the students of Starfleet Academy. Because... <laughs> We, let us not forget, these aren't even officers in the military. These are like students that were given the keys, as you said. Uh. And they're making these decisions of, well, he'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the. I think, sort of, I guess if we'll continue with the, the plot synopsis, yeah. uh, the, as Kirk lands on the planet, within a few minutes, seemingly, he runs into uh, Spock Prime. Big surprise. Yeah, is uh, Leonard Nimoy. Makes an appearance? Yes, yeah. <laughs> big deal. And I think my... Uh, I was telling John earlier, my biggest issue is that this... I'll, I'll go along with the vibe of a movie. Like, if the universe is set up in such a way that fate and kismet are a thing... Yeah. Then I can sort of go along with the idea. But this is a time travel movie where things seem to happen at random. Mm-hmm. Kirk's dad dies years and years earlier just because of some random fluke. Yeah. But then in the same movie, he's ejected from the ship, uh, Kirk is, and just lands at a random spot. And then a few minutes later, runs into Spock who was Spock Prime, who was coincidentally left on this planet. And then they run into Scotty shortly thereafter. Where it just... If I'm not supposed to believe that this is a fate-driven universe, then just the story is completely dependent on a a one-in-a-billion shot happening twice in a row. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's where... I don't want to say it fell apart, because, again... I enjoyed the movie the first way through. I enjoy watching it now, but it's just much harder to watch without, you know, laughing to yourself quite a bit.
0: Yeah, and I, I should say, I did enjoy watching it um, a couple days ago when I watched it, because, you know, it is just so whiz-bang and crazy that, mm-hmm. that you just kind of do go along with it. But if I don't think it's good that if you stop and think for half a second, <laughs> it falls apart. Right. Um, I mean, I'm willing to accept that, you know, maybe... maybe uh, Quinto Spock decided that when he was going to abandon Kirk on this ice planet, he did like fire his escape pod in such a way that it was going to land near a Federation outpost. Sure, like okay, like the whole being near Scotty thing that that makes a kind of sense because it's mm-hmm. pretty fucking dick to just shoot a guy onto Hoth and be like, good luck, buddy. I mean, just the fact that it's Scotty, it, it makes me feel
1: like like in the Star Wars universe, you can't. You can't land on a planet without running into Chewbacca. (laughs) Yeah... That's true. It had to be Scotty. Yeah, which I mean, whatever. Again, I, I went with it, but it's it just seems silly when it, analyzing it
0: from the outside. Yeah, it does. It is weird that it's the one Scotty's at. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Now that said, I really like Simon Pegg as Scotty. Uh-huh. I thought he was a ton of fun, and I like the idea that he's just been like stuck here because he had some weird engineering ideas <laughs> and and another real real deep probably the deepest cut little wink they did. He said he uh, he tried out his trans warp beaming theory on Admiral Archer's. Beagle, uh-huh. which is the only call out anyone's ever gonna to make to the series Enterprise. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, Scott Bakula's character on Enterprise was Captain Archer, and he had a Beagle on the show. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Like we're, we're <laughs> actually talking about that here. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and that was kind of fun. But um yeah, so he runs into Spock Prime in a cave because uh-huh. he's just been chilling there. Right. Um and uh and they mind meld, and basically Spock Prime says, Yeah, I'm from the future. Um, Romulus got blown up by a supernova that was going to threaten the entire galaxy. Now, let's stop for a second. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I don't have a degree in any kind of science. Uh-huh. Um, I'm no scientist. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that's not how supernovas work. Right. I know that we see them... In the sky sometimes. <laughs> They're things. Yeah. We give them that. <laughs> and, and Earth remains. Um, how does a supernova threaten the entire galaxy? We just hand-waved that. All right. It probably started in the damn Laurentian system. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, this... I, I always... This is sort of glossed over, and I lose it. Was it... Spock Prime was captured... And then sent down to the planet, so
0: he'd have to watch Vulcan be destroyed. Was yeah. that what
1: happened? Okay. Yeah,
0: they they captured him um, because uh, he was trying to save Romulus in some kind of crazy spinny ship mm-hmm. that does look kind of cool. Yeah. And um, then he couldn't do it. Nero was chasing him in his giant weird spiky ship. <laughs> and they both went through the black some black hole. Um, I think the supernova turned into a black hole or something. Mm-hmm. The science is very sketchy oh, right, right. like sketchier than Star Trek science usually is. And Star <laughs> Trek science is fucking sketchy. As one hell. space word transformed into another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, they the idea is that uh, Nero and Spock went through the black hole seconds apart. But they emerge ten years apart. Because mm-hmm. wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Sure. Um, and that's fine. And then he maroons Spock there so he'd have to watch Vulcan. Which brings up a really big issue I have with the movie. Which is, how far apart is any of this shit? Like, <laughs> we know it takes them a couple hours to get from Earth to Vulcan at whatever warp they're traveling at. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and But when we watch Spock... On the ice planet, watching Vulcan get blown up, like Vulcan is huge in their sky, which first off makes me wonder how this planet hasn't broken up due to gravitational stresses. Because <laughs> usually, when two planets are that close together oh, in right, the cosmos, right. like something terrible is happening. <laughs> um, so, and and one of them just got turned into an, into a black hole. So you'd think that like this ice planet's got like fifteen minutes left. So Vulcan wasn't long for this world, yeah, regardless of intervention. <laughs> yeah, like what? How? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, so. We know that after the Enterprise leaves Vulcan, once everything goes to shit there, they're, you know, flying around for about 15 minutes. So I guess, you know, maybe they're close enough to the ice planet that at warp speed they can just shoot a little escape pod out on it and Kirk's on that. Mm -hmm. But then Kirk makes his way to the cave, has his little exposition fest with Spot Prime, Mm -hmm. and then they trek across the icy tundra to this Federation outpost, meet Scotty, find out who Scotty is, Teach Scotty how to do transwarp beaming, and then beam back onto the Enterprise, which has been flying at m- multiple times the speed of light for at least an hour now. <laughs> like, yeah, I and mean, they were walking. It seemed like a while. <laughs> yeah, like how the hell? Where is anything? <laughs> like, is space like six blocks wide in this universe? Yeah, that's a good point. Like that—that that really, really bugged me. Then mm-hmm. we're just going to play that fast and loose with how far apart anything is. Um, but and we'll, it didn't go quite according to plan. Scotty went in the pipe and, and stuff, <laughs> <laughs> and it was wacky, hand waved. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, Scotty's in the pipe, they're back on the Enterprise, and uh, now Kirk knows his job is to elicit an emotional response Mm -hmm. from uh, from Spock, because there's some Starfleet regulation that says that if the captain of the ship's emotionally compromised by the mission at hand, he has to resign. So he's got to emotionally compromise uh, Spock, and I, that's kind of cool. Like I, yeah. I like that. Um, and watching Spock get all mad, the fact that he's so restrained makes him kind of scary mm-hmm. when he gets angry. And I like seeing you know this sort of alien power come out of come out of that character. That's fun. Yeah. Um, so long story short, uh, Kirk pisses him off, and he uh, he resigns. So they they decide they're going to fly back to Earth and try and stop Nero. Um, so, uh, they, they fly over there. They, um... How do they get a hold... Oh, yeah, the, the Spock's ship is on Nero's. So Kirk and Spock beam over to Nero's ship. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a wacky gun battle. Um, at this point, everything's just moving at a breakneck pace. I'm not even really sure what happened. <laughs> um... They, uh, they fly they, they go over to a the ship, they have a wacky gun battle, and they, um, Spock takes uh, command uh, or Spock takes command of Spock Prime's ship, mm-hmm. and I think flies it out of Nero's ship and then back into it to crash it, or something. I know it eventually crashes into it, yeah. so I'm not really sure what he was trying to accomplish with that ship. I think it was maybe just trying to get the red matter out of there, because the red matters on Spock Prime's ship. Do you remember yes. this part?
1: Yeah, the, the Red Banner is definitely on Spock prime ship. He definitely crashes it into Nero's. Um, but was that part of I, their plan? Yeah, I can't remember why exactly. I mean, did he need to... I mean, the beaming technology seems to be very hit and miss in terms of what it <laughs> can do. Yeah. Maybe he had to fly out, and then on his way to flying the ship back, they beam him back on the Enterprise. But my question
0: is, was that their plan? Like, what did what did Kirk and Spock intend to do on that ship? <laughs> I guess we should have, like, the movie,
1: like, a DVD player ready as yeah. we're recording this. Yeah, I can't remember.
0: I think but I, I think we should be able to remember. Like, right. I want to level this as a criticism of the movie. <laughs> I watched it 48 hours ago, and I don't remember what their plan was. I mean, rescuing Pike was a big part of it. Yeah, they were going to go over there and rescue Pike. Right. And they, uh... Maybe they were just going to escape in the ship? Um, maybe, because I remember them getting on the ship and, uh... And Kirk, knowing that Spock would be able to pilot it because it was Spock Prime's ship. Remember, mm-hmm. he gets on and it recognizes uh, Spock's voice print. And it's like, oh, yeah, welcome back, Spock. And yeah. like, Kirk's all like, how about that? Uh-huh. And Spock's all like, whoa? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like uh-huh. that. Um, yes. But more logical. Yes. And uh, then Spock gets into the ship and he uh, he says fascinating because that's a thing Spock says. Um, <laughs> and then he's flying it. Out of Nero's ship and then just turns right the fuck around right. and crashes it and manages to get beamed out at the same time. I guess, I guess that was their plan was, you know, we'll, we'll crash it and that'll disable the ship because the red matter's on his ship mm-hmm. and that'll collapse a black hole. Now... While this is really, really important, uh-huh. while they're doing this, Nero has lowered his big space, uh, his big laser dick out uh-huh. of his, out of his uh, ship because that's that's what he's doing. Sure. Um, and he's shooting a laser um, next to the Golden Gate Bridge and he's going to drop some red matter in there and do, do to Earth what he did to Vulcan, penetrate it, yeah, <laughs> forcibly. <laughs> um, and so he, while he's forcibly penetrating Earth. This battle's going on, and eventually that battle ends with Oh, that's what he was doing. The the Spock Prime ship, uh Spock flies it back around and shoots Nero in the space deck with it. Remember? Oh, okay. Yeah, and then he he blows that thing up and then it falls into uh, the San Francisco uh, okay. Bay. And that's how they stop it. Meanwhile, Kirk is still on Nero's ship and he's uh He's fighting Nero and uh, and, and fighting those They're other guys. Chilling time. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's just chilling. He gets piped, They be back in the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, then Spock uh, crashes uh, Spock Prime's ship into uh, Nero's ship and creates a black hole. Now, this is really important. He just created a black hole <laughs> in near-Earth orbit.
1: Yeah, I mean, this this is vaguely related, but um, this this is pretty nitpicky. But I feel like... They went to such lengths to